Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. We have but three exercises remaining in our review of the Satipatthana tutorial. Today we consider the sixfold sphere. The sixfold sphere is a very prominent Dhamma, that is, a prominent Dhamma teaching and is, in fact, a link in the twelve-fold chain of dependent co-arising. So, to perform this exercise, it's necessary, once again, first to acquire an adequate understanding of that Dhamma, and second, to be able to identify the observables by which we can verify this teaching and experience. By investigating Dhamma in terms of observables, and observables in terms of Dhamma, we become intimate with the sixfold sphere and internalize the sixfold sphere as a factor of direct and automatic awareness. It is then integral to our perceptual apparatus. The exercise identifies six spheres corresponding to the six senses, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. It reads like this. Again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu abides contemplating dhammas and dhammas in terms of the six internal and exterior spheres. And how does a bhikkhu abide contemplating dhammas and dhammas in terms of the six internal and exterior spheres? Here, a bhikkhu comprehends the eye, he comprehends forms, and he comprehends the fetter that arises dependent on both. And he also comprehends how there comes to be the arising of the unarisen fetter and how there comes to be the abandoning of the arisen fetter and how there comes to be the future non-arising of the abandoned fetter. He comprehends the ear, he comprehends sounds, and he comprehends the fetter that arises dependent on both, dot, dot, dot. He comprehends the nose. He comprehends odors, dot, dot, dot. He comprehends the tongue. He comprehends flavors, dot, dot, dot. He comprehends body. He comprehends tangibles, dot, dot, dot. He comprehends mind. He comprehends phenomena. And he comprehends the fetter that arises dependent on both, and he also comprehends how there comes to be the arising of the unarisen fetter, and how there comes to be the abandoning of the arisen fetter, and how there comes to be the future non-arising of the abandoned fetter. So we have the eye, forms, and a fetter that is contingent on eye and forms. These will be observables and we have equivalent observables corresponding to the other five senses. We already know about forms, sounds, odors, etc. These are the sense impressions prior to further conceptualization as feelings, perceptions, fabrications, and cognizance. 
This is referred to as the exterior sphere because they seem to impinge from outside rather than from subjective conditions or from something out there. This is one set of observables, raw sense data, the exterior sphere, admittedly difficult to isolate from the other aggregates except in samadhi, but at least we know what it is. Again, Abhiku comprehends the eye, he comprehends forms, and he comprehends the fetter that arises dependent on both. Let's look at the fetter here before the eye. In other texts, we find that cognizance stands in this place. For instance, the six classes of contact should be understood dependent on the eye and form I cognizance arises. The meeting of the three is contact. Similarly, for ear and sound, nose and odor, tongue and flavor, body, and so on. Recall from last week that the aggregate of cognizance is awareness of what appears as a fully fleshed out world out there that is constructed in stages through feeling perception fabrications, through interpreting the form aggregate. So this sense of a fleshed-out reality seems to be the fetter here. We know from a lot of Dhamma teachings that cognizance is the source of our presumptions. It is how we misinterpret the world. That explains why we call it a fetter. What are the observables? We'll come back to that. So what is the eye? It, along with ear, nose, etc., is called the internal sphere, aptly because it'll turn out to be pre-presumption. According to the Buddha, the eye is important to understand. Without directly knowing and fully understanding the eye, without developing dispassion for it and abandoning it, one is incapable of destroying suffering. This is then said of ear, nose, etc. The orthodox interpretation of I cannot be right. This is that the I is a round thing embedded in the middle of our face and that a form is an object out there in the world, for instance, a bird, that contacts that round thing and that the result of this contact is cognizance. What's wrong with that? The problem with it is that our only observable would be cognizance itself. The object that exists prior to cognizance, the bird and the eye itself, and then the contact between the two would be only presumed to have been there prior to cognizance. That is, they are still outside of awareness. There's no observable prior to cognizance unless you want to sit with a mirror gazing into your own eyes. In fact, the orthodox interpretation has it backwards. The experience of the bird, the eye, and contact between them all arise with cognizance. The eye as an anatomical object is not our everyday, all-day experience of the eye in any case. Functionally, we can think of the eye as a probe comparable to a thermometer, 
an oscilloscope, or even a Mars probe. A probe is something we place into a rich sense field, where sense data can be detected, auditory, visual, electrical data, temperature, pressure, and so on, in order to gain meaningful intelligence, a reading, degrees Fahrenheit, a three-dimensional MRI scan, DNA sequences, and so on. A probe performs some degree of analysis for us in order to produce a meaningful result, sometimes quite complex analysis, as in the case of an MRI scanner. Similarly, the eye is a probe. If we place the eye into a visual field form, it returns a reading. The cognizance of an object or situation. The eye explains how a simple raw form is turned into cognizance of a full-blown object. The eye seems to be a faculty, and in fact it is often called a faculty, indriya, in the early texts. However, like the aggregates, the eye is observable in momentary instances. Given this form, which is also observable, this cognizance arises. The insight built into the sixfold sphere is that there are six separate probes that function in this way. Here is what we directly experience as I. A small red shape with a bright color scheme is apparent within the visual field as form. Immediately cognizance of a bird, a cardinal, a full-fledged 3D living, breathing object in the world arises, and this object appears real, out there in the immediate outer world, enjoying full object status in natural reality. The terminology here is revealing. We've talked a lot about internal and external with regard to the refrain. Internal corresponds to direct observables prior to our presumptions about them. External to the realm of presumptions and narratives, including the self. In the exercise in the text, the eye, ear, and so on are identified as the internal sphere. That makes sense. But what is the external? But what is external would belong to cognizance. Largely our interpretation of the world out there and the site of presumptions. But notice that form, sound, odor are allocated to the exterior sphere. This is different from the external. Exterior is bahira in Pali and refers to the outer surface of something. External is bahida and refers to something out there. Unfortunately, both are often misleadingly translated as external in English doubtlessly because some translators misunderstand form as objects out there, which they're not, waiting to be picked up by the eye. Okay, we have an idea of the observables for eye and form. Eye is the pairing of form and cognizance and experience. But actually, we don't fully understand how to observe a fetter. A bhikkhu comprehends the eye, 
He comprehends forms and he comprehends the fetter that arises dependent on both. Cognizance is called a fetter for its presumptive nature, basically for the same reason that the aggregates are called the appropriation aggregates. We appropriate the aggregates when we presume a witness self. The aggregates are collections of awareness events, and if there is awareness, there must be someone who is aware. If perception, there must be a perceiver, and so on. This common sense logic supports the presumption of a witness self. Similarly, without understanding the sixfold sphere, virtually everyone presumes a witness self lurking therein. The I is that in the world by which one is a perceiver of the world, a conceiver of the world. It is a perceiver of the world, a conceiver of the world, because it produces cognizance. The analogous claim is then made for the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind. Of course, we know how to quell the presumption of the witness self. The refrain provides the instructions for that. Notice that the aggregates and the sixfold sphere first take up the intermediate step of breaking the witness self into multiple witness selves, five in the first case and six in the second, but along different dimensions each of which can be potentially justified in the same way as a self. This serves to weaken the presumption of a single self. As before, we contemplate the observables, become intimate with them, and raise the question, is there a self here? We don't have to reason about this in the stillness of samadhi. It becomes intuitively evident. But the Buddha provides a conceptual explanation about what happens in this process. Bhikkhus, I will teach you the way that is suitable for uprooting all presumptions. Listen to this. And what, Bhikkhus, is the way that is suitable for uprooting all presumptions? What do you think, Bhikkhus? Is the I permanent or impermanent? Impermanent, Venerable Sir. Is what is impermanent, suffering, or happiness? Suffering, Venerable Sir, is what is impermanent, suffering, and subject to change, fit to be regarded thus? This is mine, this I am, this is myself? No, Venerable Sir. If anyone says, the I is self, that is not tenable. The rise and fall of the I are discerned. And since its rise and fall are discerned, it would follow. Myself rises and falls. That is why it is not tenable for anyone to say, the I is self. Thus, the I is not self. The word fetter is used for something that obstructs our progress toward awakening. There is a list of ten fetters that can be checked off as we progress through the stages of awakening. Upon reaching stream entry, once returning, non-returning, and arahantship. The very first fetter to check off is self-identity view. 
Until we quell the presumption of a self, we cannot check off this fetter, and we will continue to suffer. The Buddha is adamant that our whole experience of the world can be traced back to what happens in the sixfold sphere. Here he calls it the all. And what bhikkhus is the all? The eye and forms, the ear and sounds, the nose and odors, the tongue and tastes, the body and tangibles, the mind and mental phenomena. This is called the all. If anyone, bhikkhus, should speak thus, having rejected this all, I shall make known another all, that would be a mere empty boast on his part. And similarly, in the six the world has arisen, in the six it holds concourse, on the six themselves depending, in the six it has woes. And liberation in turn is felt in the sense spheres. When a bhikkhu is thus perfectly liberated in mind, even if powerful forms cognizable by the eye come into range of the eye, they do not obsess his mind. His mind is not at all affected. It remains steady, attained to imperturbability, and he observes its vanishing. What he says here for the eye informs, he also says, for ear and sounds, nose and odors, etc. If one is intent on renunciation and solitude of mind, if one is intent on non-affliction and the destruction of appropriation, if one is intent on cravings, destruction, and non-confusion of mind, when one sees the sense spheres arising, one's mind is completely liberated. Next week, the seven factors of awakening. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. That is S-I-T-A-G-U dot org C-I-N-T-I-T-A.